Hey guys, gut check. If your six-pack abs are covered with flab, it's time to cut the fat. Lose weight the easy way with Nutrisystem for men. Now delivering hearty inspirations meals that fill you up without letting you down. We're talking bigger lunches and bigger dinners packed with protein to control hunger for up to five hours. From savory bourbon chicken to mouth-watering meatloaf, they're exactly what a man's body needs to power through the day. You get breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks all fully prepared, totally delicious and delivered free to your door. No salads, no juices, just real food for serious appetites. Order today and get all new fuel shakes for men. They're made with the key ingredient Velocitol that doubles the power of protein to help you maintain muscle mass while losing weight and feeling satisfied. Don't wait any longer. Order now for a simple way to lose weight, build strength, boost energy, and burn fat. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash protein to lock in your special deal. Offer restrictions apply. See website for details. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past weekend in racing and preview next week. Joining me in the studio, I've got Seth Eggert, Louise Torres, and Richard Uden will be joining us a bit later. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing good. I'm doing quite fine, to say the least. Indy right. came and went. Indy came and went. Yeah, so let's let's talk about Indy. I mean, honestly, if I'd have, if I'd have talked to you in 2010 and said, you know, uh, you know, by the by the next decade, Takuma Sato will be a two-time Indy winner, you know, before Dixon, <laughs> before Will Power, before Simon Pagano, um, Takuma Sato will be a two-time Indy winner. Um, you might have just laughed me out of the room, but by gosh, here we are, 2020. Um, Takuma Sato takes his second Indy win, and that puts him in very rare company. There are only 19 other drivers in the world who have won multiple Indy 500s. So, I mean, he's he's in the exclusive club right now. He can walk by the, the Penske pits and look at Pagano and Power and say, Peasant, come on, Elio, let's go get a drink. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Like, yeah, if it was back in 2010, we're talking about maybe Taka would be a two-time Indy 500 champion. I for sure would have left because considering he just came out of Formula One, it was rather mediocre to somewhat underwhelming to a tad. Despite that one podium he had at the U.S. Grand Prix at Indy, but I go back to last last week when I when we talked about this about Sato being super super consistency that I felt like it was going to bode him well over time. Looking lo and behold, that's what he did. Whereas Dixon owned the competition, but at the very end when it was crunch time, he outthink, outsmarted, and outran Dixon under his own power. Yeah, there was some strategy involved, but he showed that consistency is key, and you have to be mindful for all 200 laps. One error could really bite you. And in that first Dixon's case, it did. He got outsmarted. For the first yeah. time all season, honestly. I mean, Takuma, you know, and his, uh, you know, Ray Hall engineers and whatnot, uh, they they ran a really smart race. You know, it's a Rick Mears type of strategy there, right? Stay stay close to the front all day long, but don't necessarily, you know, don't necessarily dominate the thing. Continue to dial your car in, make sure you've got uh, plenty of car left for those closing laps. And I think even without the, even without the yellow flag finish, I don't know that Dixon actually could have gotten. Around it, Sato, you know, unless, hard. you know, unless and, the fuel came into play, which I and, mean, that's that's up in the air. You know, Dixon says he doesn't think Sato had fuel. Sato says yeah, he had plenty gonna, of fuel. So, right. Go ahead, Seth. Well, I, was, 
That's what I was going to say. Dixon uh, said post-race that he didn't think that Salo had enough fuel to make it all the way if it had gone green. Obviously, it didn't go green, so that's a moot point. But would he? Yeah, have I mean, it's you really have to question would, Dix, Dixon's strategy of yeah. of getting. I mean, and, and to a point, I mean, so that he he decided to get behind Takuma. I, I don't know, did he or did Takuma pass him on pace? Because it sure looked like Takuma was uh, uh, going a bit faster, and then Ray Hall was coming after them. But I think right there at the end, I don't think Ray Hall had anything left to to move up any farther. No. But, Even um, if Ferrucci and Newgarden and Ray Hall, you mentioned, were catching them, they just ran out of laughs. And I go back to that pit stop. The final stop with Dixon took them a little bit longer. Had it not taken a little bit longer, the question would have been, can Sato catch him? Who knows? Because if the concern was Sato was trying to save the fuel, and I think and with Dixon got the okay from Mike Hall with like 15 or so laps to go to go for it, and we had a different game. But I go back to not just Dixon being – got outsmarted by Sato, but also that pit stop that took him a tad while really yeah, hurt him. They were slow on the uh, left rear, I believe it was, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, it was somewhere in the rear that they mentioned, for sure, that it cost him. That ate up a little bit of his leap, but when Sato made that pass like around lap one, around 45-something laps to go, that looked like out, outright on pace, but to a degree, Dixon was trying to save fuel at, the, at that time period. Right, so now, again, like anything else, indie fans are never happy. They always have to find something to, to, to bitch about, of course. And we all know the, the topic to bitch about is the lack of a red flag, okay? I mean, and I think, you know, the, the three of us all agree that there really wasn't time uh, for them to no. clean up that mess, fix that wall. Um, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the entrance to pit lane is blocked, you know, and and then yeah. you're talking getting that, and you know, a very tight TV window, and they had the the race was running at a pretty slow pace anyway. You know, they were Especially right at the, the right, half. yeah, right at the end of the television window there. Uh, so I, you know, I, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've got to say to myself, right, they they threw that red flag in 2014 with the thought of preserving the green flag finish, right? They threw the red flag in 2019 as a result of, I think we had seven cars piled up in turn three, and yeah. the track was, there was so much debris, it, it, it wasn't going to be real possible for the cars to kind of navigate that minefield, uh, so just, you know, throwing the red then, and there were about 20 laps to go at that point, yeah. uh, but by doing that, particularly the 2014 one, we have, in a sense, now spoiled the fans, now they expect that. You know, and, and we've got well, we've got people saying, "Oh, no race should end under caution." I'm like, look at your history of the Indy 500. I mean, right. it's many many times has been ended under caution. You know, a little more often than than I like to see, but it's just yeah. it's part of the race, and we don't have an overtime rule. You know, if the if we did start doing this overtime, you'd be you know everybody'd be out of fuel. <laughs> you know, and then you'd have these somebody hit the fence and probably face their own demise for something like that, and that's not what the sport could afford right now to begin with because look what look what happened through the last two years of Pocono bad I, I put attributed to bad fencing and other things that scared him away. Vlad Wickens hit the fence at Pocono. We had Felix Rosenquist hit it as well, but he was okay, but you have Wickens who hasn't returned since. The problem is if we had something like a one or two lab shootout, we will have a nineteen ninety seven mess all over again or something like what I mentioned what happened. There just I may be the red flag guy. Here's the thing about the Indianapolis 500. There have been 18 stoppages since 1965. Out of all of those, all but one was way, way before 10 laps ago. But what happened with Townsend Bell, if I recall, 2014, that was just a fixture of a safer barrier. Last year, you could have probably cleaned up. That was with reason. But if you were to stop it immediately with four to go, you have to bring them somehow back to pit lane because if you're stopping them on the backstretch like NASCAR does, then you'll have power issues that you cannot – it's going to take much longer than needed, and that barrier will take a while to clean up. And if they were somehow brought them out to four to go, you'll have only three laps. You have three to go. You have to bring them to pit right now. You only have a one-lap shootout. There was no way they were going to clean this thing up. And it does, the thing of the matter is that this was the norm back in the early 2000s with NASCAR. If the caution were to come up before five laps to go, they will think about it and see if they want to stop it within reason. I felt like when the Piggott slammed the barrier for his first and foremost, awakened alert and got out of the hospital. Thank goodness he was all right for that because that was a brutal impact. 
very brutal. Unfortunately, nobody else ended up running through and ran and collided with him or have another disaster in our hands. But there was no way with four laps ago they were able to stop this race. It was just a logistical nightmare. Exactly, and, and I think all all three of us agree on that, and that's why I just find some of the fan comments so ridiculous that this oh no, race should never under you know end under caution, and it's yeah. like you know just be realistic, guys. I don't, I just feel like by doing that in 2014, we've we've now caused people to expect this. Plus, NASCAR with their overtime has now conditioned people to you know to see that green flag finish is a thrilling finish, and it is. But uh, how how often do these overtimes? In NASCAR, drag on and on and on because as soon as they go green, somebody else wrecks. Oh. We see it happen all the time. Not that often, actually. But oh, be, be, <laughs> being, a, being a NASCAR guy here, I will say this: I don't want to see overtime in IndyCar. IndyCar is not NASCAR. NASCAR is not IndyCar. Granted, we want to see them work together as far as a doubleheader. We want to see them work together to make auto racing in general better and safer. But that doesn't mean IndyCar has to go the NASCAR route. We've actually seen that attempted before when IndyCar tried double file restarts. Yeah, that was 2011, and and it just came and went. And I think I'm not sure if Vegas implemented we're going to implement double file restarts. Frank, you may know a little bit better than, on that end more than I would. Did they had like a double file restart format for Vegas or no? I can't remember. I, a, I know. I know the biggest. The biggest problem start. in Vegas was too many cars on the track. They had no, a too many, too many. Start, and, but they already done away with the double file restarts. Of like, I want to say it was halfway or three quarters of the way into the season because of the number of wrecks that they had. Oh because, yeah, Loudon. Loudon as well yeah. was a big mess and, for that reason. And here's one of the reasons why that kept happening, because in IndyCar compared to NASCAR, different rule package. In IndyCar, as soon as the green flag uh, is waved, you can go left or right. It doesn't matter. In NASCAR, you have to stay in your line until you cross the start-finish line. So Correct. correct. And NASCAR has the, the restart zone as well. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah which is kind of funny because we saw that on the – a lot of people questioned the start of the 500 because uh-huh. Dick's kind of tucked, tucked in behind Marco before they got to the line. Um, and some people were saying, hey, what's, you know, what are we, why, why didn't we wave off that start? But that's it's only been per- done once that's, before. Yeah, it's perfectly, it. it's perfectly within the rules to do that. Once the green is out, you can, you can begin passing whether you get to the line or not. So uh, you just can't do a Scott Goodyear and pass the pace car. So Or <laughs> or hang on very, very, very tight like Rick Mears, Andretti, and Kogan in 82, and then just cause a bunch of melee. Because right, they were right, going yeah. very slow. And Bobby Usner, who was, I think, working with Jose Legarza that year implied that they were going very slow. And yes, indeed, they were going very slow because typically they will just wait. They will be full force by before they even touch the yard of bricks way before the yard of bricks. Yeah, that's, that, that's an old short track trick. You know what I mean? You, you, you kind of ease off a little bit going to the green to, to force everyone behind you to check up. And then you meant, then you mash the gas, you know? Yeah. That's so. just tailgating one-on-one. You just don't want to do that. Right, now, right. Yeah, not not on uh, on the fastest track you race on all years, certainly. So, but let, now, Seth, you had a comment. You were about to jump yeah, in. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, because uh, Graham Rahal was talking about on Twitter after the race, uh, I want to say to fix that uh, pit wall would have been about thirty to forty-five minutes. Which, again, they were up against the TV window, and they couldn't bump it to NBCSN because that's where the Cup race was. If they had to bump it anywhere, I think it would have been CNBC, which really yeah, isn't much of an option. That's where it would have ended up, CNBC, yeah, because NBC proper was carrying the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, uh, yeah, and, there, yeah, I mean, TV, the, the TV window was up. I mean, and there yeah. was, uh, you know, they, they may have been able to do that. And even, you know, depending on who you believe, whether it's 30 minutes to fix the wall or 90 minutes or, you know, actually today is <laughs> – Tuesday or Wednesday, and they're, they're still fixing it. Somebody had a, a picture today of them working on that uh, the pit wall today, although, I, I mean, there certainly wasn't any urgency to, to fix it right then and there, so they may have just let that sit. Um, yeah, but, but either way, I think, you know, just with the, the few amount of laps left, 
that wasn't going to happen. So let's let's move on and talk to the other um, controversy uh, that's come out of this, and that would be the penalty to Alexander Rossi uh, for making very very made very minor contact with Sato uh, in the pit lane. Um, and and if you look at it, Sato is kind of between both lanes, uh, but they they nailed Rossi's crew with a um, unsafe release, which it's it's probably probably a fair penalty uh, to nail him with that. But I don't I I kind of feel like uh, putting him all the way to the back was a bit severe. Uh, you know, I don't know what the other option could have been. Could have been a you know a drive through penalty or, or a stop and go. Uh, or, but uh, it seemed like we saw a few other very similar incidents without penalties called. Well, there were some similar incidents in post-race. I think it was Janet Fryer who tweeted it. Uh, I think there were six or seven drivers that had or were going to have uh, monetary fines for safety violations as they were turned, not unsafe pit releases. And I know Hinchcliffe was one of them. Marco Andretti was one. I think Renus BK was another. So there, I don't know why they may not have done that with Rossi versus the other drivers. If maybe just because Rossi's was uh, talked about on TV so much. I mean, I we know TV doesn't actually affect per se the way the stewards call a race, but it is interesting that Rossi was pointed out more and actually penalized compared to the other ones. Well, I think it boils down to it, Rossi was a front-running guy, of course, and I, and when it comes to those monetary fines, they're very, very minor that you, if you're, you, you'll have to kind of be in the media center to hear it or see timing a score, they'll put in a little notification what happened. And I think those are very minor. depends on who it is and how it affects the outcome because it certainly that penalty affected Rossi's outcome mindset and ultimately his race. Well, certainly, yeah, because he, he had to charge charge the way up from the back, and he probably wouldn't have been driving quite as desperately had he been back to the front. And as you recall, before that sequence of pit stops, he was right up there at the front trading the lead back and forth with Scott Dixon and, well, and making for a very exciting show. I, you know, well, I've, I've seen a few... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from. You too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Folks say this race was follow the leader, and I was like, what the hell race were you watching? And there was some great action in the race. Well, something I do want to point out, though, about Rossi, after that penalty, yes, he went to the back, but they never came back down pit road to address his car to run in the pack. So he was still trimmed out to run up front and was stuck in the arrow wash of several cars. So I don't know if that may have been a factor in causing his wreck or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking any adjustments would be minor, though. Probably, you know, a few turns of front wing, something here and there. You know, there's nothing major, majorly different from running in the back to running in the front, because when you're running in the front, you're going to, you're going to, you know, be running in lap traffic eventually. So, yeah, it could have been that the wing angle might might not have been great for where he was, but certainly after being put to the back, coming back to the pits, to make a wing adjustment was going to be even more prohibitive uh, for a guy who feels like he had a car that uh, was capable of winning. And from what I saw, he certainly did look like he had a car that was capable of winning. Um, you know, there's there's no there's no way to tell if he would have uh, still been there in in the mix. Uh, you know, no way of telling if his car would have held on because the uh, the rest of the Andretti team just had a miserable miserable day, starting with Marco 
who started going backwards right at the start. Uh, you and know, he was this is MIA. Yeah, think, he's MIA the rest of the day. I think he finished what thirteenth. Yes, yeah, so he, he was just he was just kind of there. I, I think he led maybe thirteen feet as well. I mean, I don't even think. He, I mean, as Dixon well, was ahead by the time they get yeah thirteen feet maybe yeah Dixon was in, in the by the time we got to turn one Dixon was out front and and Marco was down the third. So I'm willing to um, put, I'm willing to bet I'm willing to bet some cash into this. I want to believe he's the sec he may have had the second second fewest laps led among pulsators all time as far as distances well, well, Guerrero led, never led it never never even made it to the opening lap you know he Marco. never led a, a lap Marco either so yeah. Marco would be would actually be the uh pulsator with the least laps led that actually started the race I guess would be the way yep. it would be worded uh and just another Quirk or historical note I do want to make since we're on a historical note here. Takumasawa's win, along with his first Indy 500 win, are also the only two Indy 500s that Fernando Alonso has made. Yep. I've heard a couple people mention that too, that uh, that Alonso in the field is Takuma's good luck charm. <laughs> so uh, I guess that means so. 2023 uh, Takuma wins again. Well, could be, could be. Who knows? knows? I mean, Sonny had a great run without Alonso last year. And if he had like ten or more so laps, he probably could have been in that mix with Pagano and Rossi in the in last year. So Rossi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Takuma drove a great race last year as well. So yeah, the interesting thing about Takuma, right? And as I wrap my mind around this, right, he he does everything he's not supposed to. Do you know what I mean? Um, like you say, the 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 stereotype is that that Japanese drivers, right? Are, are rich pay drivers, right, who can't drive. Um, and that, that used Except to be, you, got, you talk about, well, I mean, but, but, good, yeah, but if you talk movie. about, you talk about guys like, you know, Hiro Masusta mm-hmm. and, and um, Kosi Masura and, and those other guys. But, yeah. I mean, Takuma, number one, he's not from a wealthy family. He's not a ride buyer. As a matter of fact, he, he wanted to start racing when he was 10. He didn't start racing until he was in his 20s because his family had no money. He, he won himself a scholarship uh, to go racing uh, based on his talent. Um, the other thing is that, you know, there's supposedly a, a youth movement in racing. I hear Takuma Sato has now won two Indy 500s over the age of 40. Uh, I mean, here, here's a guy winning more races in his 40s than he did in his 20s. You know what I mean? It's 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 just he just like whatever, you know, stereotype you want to throw at him. He says, ah, I don't buy into that. You know what I mean? And then, of well, course, he's the stereotype better over of, time. For he's, sure. he's certainly he's gotten more yep. patient. He's gotten smarter. You know, he's he's still aggressive, but yeah. he's but he's, uh, you know, his his race craft has uh, improved tremendously, you know, where yeah. he's. Yeah, I think the the yeah. 2012 really taught him a lesson there. Yeah, and uh, in, in impatience, a, a win. It's like Indy Redemption on the Ray Hall Letterman side because 2012 he was with those guys when he could have probably won it, but still had yeah. a lot of learning to go. And yep, yep. And speaking of uh, Ray Hall Letterman landing in racing, um, not only did they win the actual Indy 500 with Takuma this past weekend. Earlier this year, they won the iRacing Indy 500 with their uh, iRacing driver, Brandon Trano, who is also one of the tire changers for Daniel Suarez in the Cup Series. So that's just an interesting little uh, note there. Certainly is. I see that Richard has joined us. Richard, how are you, buddy? I have indeed, yeah. I'm very good. so... um... So it's, it's, it seems like you need a need a better pit crew to change your change oh, your yeah. tires. Uh, <laughs> oh, the folks! Changer. Richard Richard had a flat tire on his way to the to the computer. So yeah, uh, Richard, good to have you here. So we're uh, when you find a drill bit through your tire, that uh, tends to put a bit of a dampener on things. I tell you. So Richard, we're talking about the Indy 500, and we're talking about uh, Takuma Sato, of course, and and Rossi's penalty, yeah, yeah. and and the. Um, yeah. And we've talked about the the red flag situation or the no red flag situation, which I believe I believe the one thing I didn't didn't mention it, it was I think I believe that was the the fan reaction was exacerbated by the um, the commentary in the booth where uh, 
Danica says, oh, it looks like we'll get a green-white checker, which I think she forgot what series she's watching. And Tracy yeah, said, Paul, Paul Tracy said, oh, they'll, they'll red flag this for sure, um, which, you know, neither one of those uh, came to, to happen. But, uh, you know, when you're uh, – it's funny the power of uh, a television announcer misspeaking. You know, because there are still people that will tell you that in the, the 2002 Indy 500, they reverted scoring to the prior lap, which they did not. It was an old rule, but um, because Paul Page said that on the air, people still believe that to this day. So, Richard, your impressions of the Indianapolis 500? Um, I was watching it sat down uh, on my iPad at a, at a pool down in Hilton Head. So I thought it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> now I thought it was a really good race, and you know th- there was three dominant cars I thought throughout the event. You know Dixon, Sato, and Rossi, and, and they were the three that could run at the front, could run in the top six, and you know if they wanted to, they could work their way to the front pretty easily. Um, and as we sort of mentioned when we were messaging back and forth just after the race, I thought, unfortunately, Marco was very disappointing. But I think you saw a little bit of that in the practice post-qualifying, didn't you? You know, he was in the pack and he just didn't have any pace. So, obviously, their car was very much set up for qualifying and being out at the front. And as soon as I mean, he didn't even lead, lead a corner, never mind a lap. Uh, yeah, so really, really disappointed on that front. I think, I don't know if the pressure got to him, but I think it mentally i think it's going to take him quite a bit to come back from this um you know because he's going to be pretty beat up i think I, I don't know he may not be but there was a huge amount of hype for the whole week leading up to that you know with him being on pole and then dropping it you know or not not competing as, as you'd expect yeah i mean um, other than other than rossi having some moments of brilliance there before his unfortunate incident the rest of the andretti team was really Nowhere near where they were in, yeah, in qualifying. Mean, yeah. They were all they were all at the front of the field in qualifying. Uh, but you know, Hunter Ray was little, just you know he had a few little moves early on, didn't they? I think in the first twenty laps or so, he made up a few spots and maybe got to about fifth or something, but never really pushed past that, did he? No, no, no. And then of course Veach was just there, you yeah. know. So I mean, but I, I, he typically is, unfortunately, except for Texas when he ate, was basically the best Andretti car, just only in the opener at Texas almost three months ago. Yeah, yeah. But so let's, think, let's um, talk about some know, of the I'm other sure guys. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Richard. I'm sorry. Quickly, I'm sure the topics that you've already discussed, as you mentioned, the the penalty for Rossi on the pit road. I mean, I think it was very unfortunate, but I think it was a penalty. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you're driving your car down the street and you pull out in front of somebody, it's your fault if you hit them. And, you know, he was millimeters away from hitting Sato and bouncing back into another pit crew and potentially injuring somebody. So they've got to be very careful with that. And, yeah, they were too wide, so, you know, Sato was on the, but they were too wide. You've got to react to that. And, uh, you know, it's not like, um, you know, NASCAR or, uh, you know, Formula One where you've got, you know, somebody controlling it. You know, I think IndyCar is a bit more instinctive. As soon as they drop the jack through the, um, you know, it, it, it releases you. So I don't know who controls that. I don't know what authority they have to hold the car sort of thing is doing Formula One. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, it was a penalty. It was dangerous. Harsh penalty, but, you know, nonetheless, it is what it is. Um, and I think that they were right not to red flag the race at the end. Uh, flag the race at the end. I think the only time you ever red flag a race is um, for, um, you know, safety issues. And you don't red flag it purely for entertainment. You know, hmm. IndyCar works on a different level to, to NASCAR. NASCAR is all about the show. Whereas yeah, NASCAR I was going to say, is, NASCAR has pretty much done more, that the last five years. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, NASCAR has got better. You know, we haven't seen a, a debris caution or a Danica caution or a Dale Jr. caution for quite a while now. You're a hot, hot dog wrapper on the track caution. Yeah, you know, and, or, and I've mentioned it before on the show. We had a statistic for cautions, and in that model, was Danica or Dale Jr. being the lucky dog. And if they were the lucky dog, statistically, it was more likely to be a debris caution than not. But anyway, that's another story. But anyway, that's another story yeah, for another but day. You so don't, yeah. you know, in, 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 I don't think there's any reason to throw a red flag. The only reason you'd have thrown a red flag is to manipulate the end of the race. And as people have said, the amount of... I mean, firstly, what a fantastic job the safety barrier did at end of the pit road. I mean, you know, that was a big impact huge impact and for the car to come off I mean, the car was badly damaged but 
for the driver, you know, Spencer Pickett uh, to, to be walk away gingerly, um, you know, it was incredible. So, yeah, and the same goes for um, uh, Askew took a yes, hell of a hit that too. That was a huge hit as well. That yeah, was a that huge hit too, and, and he's he's also. I mean, it just goes to show how strong these cars are. You know, we've seen and the safer we, barriers we've seen, and all these other things. And the yeah, safer barriers, sure. yes, yep. So but, I mean, we've you know, it honestly, you, well, at least an hour, if not two, to repair that structure because it has to be, it has to be as strong as it was before. You know, because if you Obviously, that accident can happen. So if the same thing had happened again and they hadn't done a proper job of rebuilding the barriers and somebody had gone in there and they'd been seriously injured, then imagine the legal ramifications of that. I mean, if you cast your mind back to Silverstone, probably 2017 or 16, 17, maybe, Kimi Raikkonen hit the barriers on the first lap coming out of the new farm corner onto the Wellington 14. Strike. 14, was it? Was it long ago? Good grief. Yeah. Uh, and I forgot and, about you know, it until recently. The, the sort of the nose of his car, I mean, he injured his, his ankle, or he bruised his ankles, but he actually ripped a post that the barrier, you know, the barrier was ripped out of the ground, and they had to stop the race, and it took them an hour, an hour and a half to rebuild the structure, and they have to, you know, if, you cannot have drivers racing on a circuit that isn't safe, so I perfect decision there, they didn't want to wait for two hours to rebuild that, and then have this three or four lap shootout, as they want to call it, and it was probably getting dark there anyway, because I think the race started later than normal, so yeah, it started yeah. at two thirty. It was it was about six p.m. Eastern when the when the checkers flew, yeah, so, like I mean, right, right before six. So hours, that's eight o'clock. It's getting pretty hazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you plus you're off. Two thirty, two twenty, two thirty at um, at eight o'clock at night in the dusk. No, or, 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 or with the or with the sun setting and having the you oh, know the long shadows yeah, in there so, with the sun in your eyes. So it, yeah. It, it, I feel, Sorry for Dixon, because I thought he drove a great race. I mean, again, class of the field. But at the end of the day, he he made a mistake of letting Sato pass there. You know, I don't know if he let him pass or, you know, or it was like, well, if you're going to go, go. At least you'll lead and use more fuel than I will. But, you know, you, you've got to take that risk-reward situation, isn't it? And, um, you know, they paid a price for it, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I thought there were three cars, the class of the field, and I'm just glad... Two of those finished one, too. Certainly. Now, let's talk about some of the other cars that really had good days. Um, and I want to say Santino Ferrucci was was on fire at the end of the race there, uh, making, a, making a lot of really good moves there, um, just driving really, really well. And, he, and if we recall, he was stellar here last year as well. Um, Pato Award um, in his rookie, his first Indianapolis 500s, he got bumped out last year. He was um, very, very smart uh, all day. Ended up uh, was it was it fifth? Sixth. He was the only sixth. Yes, yeah, yeah, no yeah, Santino, Santino was fifth, and um, San, Santino was fourth. Joseph Newgarden was fifth. The only Pesky car in the top ten. Period. Yeah, Pesky kind of had a miserable day. Joseph looked pretty racy towards the end there, but he had you know a few faster cars in front of him. But uh, I mean, willpower. I don't think I heard. A peep from him all day. Uh, you know, Simon's day uh, went from from you know a bad starting position to worse when he had to change the nose uh, in the early laps. There, um, Ed Carpenter's day was miserable. Um, yep. <laughs> Ed Carpenter's teammates, uh, Connor Daly, you know, involved in that wreck there. Um, you know, Askew. Uh, you know, a lot of guys. Uh, a lot of guys running into some trouble there. So, but uh, but really, I mean, award uh, great. Great Indy 500, good experience under his belt, good result for the uh, for the Arrow McLaren team, and then again Santino, great job, you know, great job in the in the, the coin. People like to say the coin car, as if you know you're driving a <laughs> you know, something with a cinder block tied to it, whatever. But whenever somebody does well in a coin car, that's always and he won the race in a coin car. Can you believe it? So, I mean, good stuff, good stuff there. So. And who knows how James Davis would have done if those, that right that right front brake rotor what it didn't explode on him to where everybody were making yeah, fun was... of it because it's a Rick Ware Alliance car. People need to remember Rick Ware is associated. It's a collaborative, but it's theoretically a Dale Coin car, much like, if I recall, David Reagan at Daytona. That's basically another front row car, but it has Rick Ware's name on it. So what's the so what's the joke with Rick Ware? Is Rick Ware like a start and park guy? No. No, no okay. It's just it's just that he's uh 
rent a ride guy. Okay, all right. So, so but but anyway, now Richard had Richard. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Have you ever seen anything? If you, uh, sorry, Rick Ware is one of those guys that if you, if you shake his hand, you've got to make sure you're still wearing your watch after you shook his hand. Okay, all right, I get he's, it, I get it. You know, he, he, he has a bit of a reputation, but good guy, but flies a little bit close to the wind. Yeah. Now, Richard, have you ever seen anything like that? Where the Because it looked like he said there was a... Uh, they, they determined it was a failure with the master cylinder, so the brakes were just stuck. The front brakes were stuck on. Then, of course, it just, uh, you know, heated that up to well, thousands of degrees, and then and then uh, it just exploded. Better, I, better to go that way than the other way, I guess, isn't it? I, I guess so, yeah. Better, better to have um, <laughs> what well, Indy you can probably I mean, do without brakes other than getting I've in had, the pits. Uh, you know, I've had brake rotors crack and this crack and shatter. It's not uncommon, especially on the steel. This got like, carbon fiber discs, not so much. Um, that's a little bit more unusual, but the loading that they go through. I mean, I'm guessing it wasn't by sounds of thing if it was a master cylinder failure, and also because it happened, it happened relatively early in the race as well, didn't it? Um, it was lap seven, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing unfortunately some mechanic probably didn't tighten something or tight over tightened something. Uh, I don't think it would have been a a failure of the of the. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't a failure of the disc or the rotor. It, I don't think it was a, a parts failure. I think it was probably human error. But uh, yeah, it certainly could have been. Now, Louise, they... Louise, didn't we see somebody have a brake rotor explode? I want to say it was Zach Veach, but it happened on in, in the pits. Does that sound familiar? Like last year or the year before? As far as the Indy 500, where he exited out. Well, of not the... in the 500. It was just in a in a general Indy car race. I, I remember Veach seeing or... something. I want to say it was Veach, but it was but it was in the pit lane, coming into the pits, and then the brake rotor just blew up like that. I can't think of it from IndyCar is a bit of a blurb. I know Paul Menard at Homestead happened to him. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was it was definitely uh, one of the more interesting things I've seen. Just that that thing just exploded. And then then you know Davison cars on fire. He keeps driving like he's I don't. <laughs> like he's, uh, I don't know if he didn't. Rider. Didn't see the flames or <laughs> what? Uh, he did say he didn't feel the heat at all, but uh, yeah, you know. And um, then of course somebody had to make the comment that oh, you know, it takes him too long to get out with the screen and the car is on fire. I'm like, do you happen to notice how fast the fire goes out once they hit it with the fire extinguishers? Just saying. And I'm positive Just saying. with that arrow screen, it doesn't go. It takes a little bit longer for that fire to get through the cockpit. Right, right. Of course, you know. Of course, the nightmare scenario everyone wants to everyone wants to bring up: if the car is upside down and on fire, what's going to happen? The poor driver's going to burn to death. I'm like, what was the last driver you saw burn to death? I mean, if the car is upside down and on fire, it's pretty easy. Step one: extinguish the fire. Step two: extract the driver. You know, so and, and I don't know. Go back people... 38 years for a major notable fatality due to the fact they couldn't get out of the fire, and that was Paletti at, at Montreal. Yep. Or at least in Oakenwheel. I think there was one in uh, the Sportsman Dash series or something like that. Oh, yeah. In uh, yeah. 1990 or something like that. Yeah, 92. Now I remember. Yeah. Or El- Elio DeAngelis. Um, he, he died of smoke inhalation, but that wasn't because they couldn't get him out of the car. That was because they had a private test and neglected to have any fire marshals, safety marshals, or medical personnel on site. So when his car went uh, upside down, they, they didn't have anybody there to get him out. So, but, but, but I mean, this day and age, I, I mean, you know, fire is such a, I mean, you know, fire used to be a driver's biggest fear. You know what I mean? And, and you know, the old timers like Jackie Stewart and Mario and Nicky Lauda certainly will tell you that, um, that, that fire was one of the driver's biggest fear. But now it's almost uh, as quickly as the safety teams are there, as, as effective as the fire suppression equipment is. And particularly these IndyCar, the methanol fires they could put out instantly, you know, then, then you get like an oil fire or, you know, or in Davison's case, which was 
burning tire and magnesium, it was out pretty quickly as well. So, yeah, yeah. I think the biggest concern is just heat exhaustion or facing heat stroke at this, this day, and especially on the NASCAR side, there's been a lot of them this year. Like, what was it? Like, Natalie Decker, J.J. Yaley. Bubba Wallace. Uh, yeah, so Bubba Wallace, had, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Johnson. I mean, the list ago. goes on and on. Yeah, that's been become more of a bigger issue than just get, having a hard time getting out of a scorching car these days. And IndyCar, they've, with the aero screen, yeah, they're working on it to put some air hose or filter so that they doesn't become too much of a problem. The only thing is they'll kick up dirt in their helmets. That's about it so far. That was the worst thing, wasn't it? Them getting that damn hose disconnected from the uh, air conditioning unit. <laughs> that was almost common. Yeah, yeah, some of the guys. They, they just don't have the muscle memory to disconnect that yet. Because we no, saw a couple of it. Well, they're trying to get out of the car. And I was like, oh, well, what's, what's got me? You know? Know? breaking the hose, aren't you? You can see the hose untangling rather than actually getting out of the car properly. Yeah, yeah, so. All right, so let's, so we're going to Gateway for a doubleheader, two afternoon races. Uh, Gateway yeah. was the site last year. Takuma Sato won last year in Gateway. Yep. Um, Narrowly so he's... held on to beat Ed Carpenter on that one, and also it's the site of Tony Kanan's last podium. And also this weekend is Tony Kanaan's last race of 2020. Right. I, very I, clear. I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I believe that Tony has backpedaled a little bit on his, <laughs> his his farewell tour just due to the fact that he's uh, not been able to, you know, race in front of fans uh, on a couple of occasions. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, you know, all the COVID-19, the shorter season, taking kind of the – wind out of his um farewell tour so i think he may I mean, uh and also we may we may see him in a too you say what now that's to say not just that also eliminated bourdais season which was i think only portland he was supposed to only drive or one other but bourdais uh see yeah bourdais bourdais was supposed to race in st pete's alabama portland all three of those canceled oh uh, and st pete i I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if the rescheduled St. Pete race goes off in October, that Bourdais is going to be in the car, is, is okay. what I'm hearing. So, But that's if they get that off the ground. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's on the schedule. It's got a date. Uh, but I haven't heard a lot from the promoters because you're talking about setting up the whole street circuit mm-hmm. a second time. Because if you recall, they had the course all built and ready, and they even had one practice session in before, uh, you know, COVID-19 gripped the world with fear and yeah. uh and, and they canceled the race at the uh j- just prior to qualifying i want to say not the, just the that are they willing to do it three times in a span of a year let's not let's, let's remember that as well yeah we yeah march so 20 october 20 and then march 21 those are very close gaps yeah but we'll see i mean again right now it's on the schedule and then the other thing i'm hearing is that uh uh, Mid Ohio will be rescheduled to the weekend of September 12th, 13th. Um, hopefully with fans. Um, I know Green Savory wants to have fans there because uh, you know they're the same guys that promote St. Pete and and, <laughs> and took a beat in there. They're the same guys that promote um, uh, Toronto and they took a beat in there with that race being canceled. So they really they really need some. Canceled. So they need yeah. something. They need something. Yeah, they need. You know, Green Savory needs a little, little money in their coffers, and I and I and I can't say I blame them. You know, we're they're in business to make money for sure, and putting on a race uh, to to an empty <laughs> circuit is uh, certainly not uh, not paying anybody's bills. Uh, but so hopefully, um, that's uh, just a little under a month. We'll see a doubleheader at Mid Ohio, and I know a guy named Scott Dixon probably pretty pleased with getting a race in mid-Ohio not once but twice because Dixon's won at mid-Ohio, what, six times? Sounds about, sounds about right, right. I know he yeah. won it a year ago by narrowly beating Rosequist in that in that thrilling Ganassi war zone battle. That, 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 was, was, a really, that was a really fun race last year at mid-Ohio, yeah. yeah. And if we have a doubleheader, I would not be surprised if Dixon and Rosequist split wins there. Yeah, but, but – we need to pick winners for Gateway first, so. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, Seth, I'll start with you. Who do you like for Gateway? Uh, let's see. We're picking for both races. Yep. Um, 
I'll say uh, Dixon and Newgarden. Okay, very good. Now, uh, Richard? Uh, Newgarden, Sato. Okay. Louise? Hmm. Let's see, race number one, I feel like the redemption is going to be there for Dixon, so I'm going to go with him. Race number two, I think it's going to be the day for, for Santino Ferrucci. I put my money on him, I'm winning that one. Okay, yeah. I mean, not bad. The guy is pretty darn good on oval. So, uh, for me, I had picked in one of uh, these racing pools earlier. I picked uh, New Garden for race one um, because I think Penske is going to bounce back uh, after this because you can't keep a good team down long. And race two, uh, I picked, uh, of all people, Graham Rahal. Uh, I think the Rahal team is, uh, you know, coming coming off of an awful lot of momentum. Uh, from Indy 500 Graham with his third place finish there. And it's been a while since uh, old Grammy's won a race there. And I'm sure that he's, uh, you know, getting a little weary of uh, being in his teammate's shadow who's won uh, what, four, four or five times since he's been on the team. So Graham Ray Hall for race two. So, all right. Well, with that being said, we had, speaking of doubleheaders, doubleheader at uh, Dover this past weekend. And uh, Seth. Let's uh, talk about let's talk about the, the two cup races. I know the um, the support uh, series were there as well. Were, were the trucks and trucks Xfinity and the, or... trucks uh, were there. There were two Xfinity races and Arca East was there as well. Okay, so busy busy weekend at Dover. Did we have socially distanced fans? Like, I, I didn't get to no watch. No fans. It. No fans. That's that's awful. Uh, okay, so uh, a whole bunch of races. So start, let's start off with Cup race number one. I, I'll let you uh, take the helm. Well, the cup, the first cup race started off with uh, contact between Eric Jones and Kurt Busch, sending Kurt into the wall, ending his race after only six laps. After that, it was a, a relatively quiet race. Uh, you had a competition caution and cautions for the stage ends, and the race just went green. It, there were no organic incidents. Uh, Kurt Busch uh, seemed or sorry, uh, Martin Truex Jr. seemed to be uh, running away with it uh, at the very end, and his teammate, Denny Hamlin, ran him down and passed him with about 10 laps to go and went on to win his sixth race of the season. Otherwise, it was a very uneventful race uh, for Dover standards, as was the second doubleheader, or, well, the second half of the doubleheader. Uh, Kevin Harvick won that one, and Harvick, while Hamlin led about a third of the race, Harvick led two-thirds of his race. He had to one-up Hamlin and also got back in the lead for the win column, clinched uh, the regular season championship as well in the race, so he will have 15 extra playoff points going into the playoffs the first race though or the second race the first few laps were kind of hectic uh there was an incident between uh, logano and stenhouse that sent stenhouse spinning into inside wall while avoiding it chase elliott and kyle bush got together and while avoiding that joey gates who was already a lap down six laps in crashed into Garrett Smithley. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is very sad. If you're already a lap down and you wreck with another fellow under caution your... too. Yeah, yeah, Especially those two guys that have been getting bad rep all the past year. Yeah. I was gonna say you never you never hear a good, you never hear a good news story that's got Garrett Smithley's name in it. Well, to be fair, this time the video <laughs> actually showed. Joey Gase just ramming into him, so it clearly was not and, and their fault. Gase's rep what's is that, not good uh, as it is, unfortunately. That, uh, what's that book or that movie, uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So. When it comes but, uh, to those guys, you hear more negative on Gase and Smithley compared to a BJ McLeod who gets all the praise for being mindful of his competitors, whereas – those guys and poor old Quinn Half, who had two bad situations where he saved them both times, if I recall. But 
of course, you're going to have those detractors since Texas that just say, get him out of the race car. Just all, and yet he saved it from wrecking it on pit road and also and, saving it from hitting in a wall race two. And you just remind me of something, uh, speaking of Texas, we almost had a repeat of that in the first race. However, it wasn't Quinn Hoff and Matty Vendetto. It was Ryan Priest pitting from the middle lane and Jimmy Johnson who had to take evasive action. Uh, yeah, and I thought that was Joey Gase. Was thinking of that? I was thinking, oh great, Joey Gase, what are you doing? Then I had to pause and realize, like, Gase really, Ryan, really, <laughs> really, Ryan? Yeah, what? it was Ryan Priest. Yeah, and um, but the second racer, it was a little more hectic. You had uh, an incident between Corey LaJoy and Ty Dillon. You had uh, Quinn Hoff spin, and then uh, with about twenty-two laps to go, Corey LaJoy cut his tire, and. On the final caution, uh, Jimmy Johnson only took two tires uh, and took the lead. Uh, I think he led maybe three-quarters of a lap at under green before Harvick uh, just flew by him on the outside and cruised away. But uh, it was a net gain for Jimmy. Uh, before the caution, he was running sixth. He ended up finishing third. Uh, and honestly, he closed the gap for the playoff bubble, it was 25 points before the doubleheader between him and William Byron. Now it's only four points. Right. So let's talk about the playoff bubble a little bit because this this week, the race coming up at Daytona it's the is, is the last now. last race of the regular season, right? You've already mentioned that Harvick, Harvick has clinched the regular season championship, yes. which is uh, at the last – Two years where they have had a regular season champion. The regular season champion has gone on to win the cup. Not so that, quite. that No? No. Uh, it's been Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Kyle Busch, Harvick. And the champions have been Truex Jr., Logano, Kyle Busch. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I forgot about that whole Logano year. Yeah, I don't know how I blanked that whole year out of my mind there. Yeah, but okay, but 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 anyway, okay. So two out of three times, the regular season champion has gone on to win the cup. So this bodes well for Kevin Harvick heading into him, and obviously him and Denny have been the guys to beat. But let's talk about the guys at the bottom um, that have that are either in danger of being bumped out or guys that are desperate to bump in. Well. Almirola, Kyle Busch, and Kurt Busch all locked themselves in on points. So the last one uh, currently in on points are Boyer, who has a 57-point lead, I believe, over Byron. Uh, Matthew Bendel, who's only up by five points. Byron is the cutoff. Then you have Jimmy Johnson and Eric Jones within striking distance on points. Everybody else has to win. Not just that, we got Rookie of the Year on the line as well. Wait, because if Reddick, Cus- Bell, and Nemechek don't win, Custer wins it. Yeah, that's because- a bit. I don't like that one. I think with the Rookie of the Year, you know, you can get some not a freak result. You know, I mean, he did well to win the race, but Rookie of the Year is a little bit more. Well, I, the- I don't think they should do that win or nothing because I mean, I personally, I think Reddick's been fantastic this year. I think I don't know where he's in the points. You know, uh, Reddick like is seventeenth. But, and where would Custer be without if the win didn't put him in the Nine, playoffs? He would be 19th with Christopher Bell in 20th. So, yeah, you see, I, I just don't know if I like that one as well. I understand why they do it for the the, the overall champion. And right now there's a 100-point difference between Reddick and Custer. Yeah, you see, I think, you know, if you're asking who has been the best rookie this year, it's a simple answer. Uh, I, I understand that, but they also changed it to make it simpler. Because the way the system used to be was you out of the 36 races, you took your best 17. Oh, and good then, Lord. And then after that, it would be a vote uh, by certain media members on stuff they did oh, away from say. track. Just pick who's got the most damn points. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, 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 kinda, it's, it's almost like the Indianapolis 500 rookie of the year where they so look at the finishes, so it, but, it, but, it, but it really comes down to a vote. Based on not only the result at the track, you know, but also the, uh, the, the, the uh, yeah, the, the yeah. month, how they how they behave, how they interacted with yeah. fans, how they interacted with the media, yeah. you Which know, how, how they how they represented. That, 
And exactly, that's... yeah. That was if you ask me, Ed Jones was robbed on that one because Ed Jones had a heck of a race. Now Alonso had a heck of a race as well back in seventeen, uh, led for a time. But uh, yeah, I mean that was that one was a, a, a bitter pill to swallow the, for Ed Jones. The stupid thing about rookie of the year though is is you know Bell or Reddick could go on a win streak and win four or five races in the playoffs. Not like but then. But then you're like, well, you come to the end of the season and say, well, this guy's won six races this year, and this guy, but hey, because he won the one early in the season, he's now rookie of the year. But rookie of the year, not rookie of the regular season. Well, also, uh, see now, now, Richard, now you're you're advocating one more trophy for the years, <laughs> rookie well, of the regular yeah, season, rookie not? of the year. Why yeah, but, well, you have a yeah well. regular how about season. Just, if one of them makes it, how about just have a how about Here's the thing, because if that somehow happens, if Bell or Reddick go on a win streak and during the playoffs and somehow they if they don't win Saturday for starters, that I would not be surprised if NASCAR implements a rookie year where they collect the most points, not considering playoffs, to see how much they got yeah. in a grand total. Oh, yeah. that's how it should, you know, that's how it should be. I mean, then then you start getting like attendance awards, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but um, nah, whatever. <laughs> it is what, uh, unfortunately, they made the system to try to, or the new system, which is just literally based on the actual points right now and where they are. So if Custer is the only one in the playoffs, he's the only rookie that wins. This was yeah, implemented last year. Well, this was That's implemented. Problem, this was implemented last year, and in the truck series, the only rookie to make the playoffs was Tyler Ankrum making him the de facto Rookie of the Year, and he was awarded Rookie of the Year, so there's a ray of present for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, there's something yeah. to be said for winning a race in your rookie year. You know, Which, oh, even, if, even if it's just – but but sometimes a race win can be a fluke. You know what I mean? Like you get to, you know, some of these IndyCar races, uh, like Carlo, Carlos Huertos, you know what I mean? Yeah, Carlos Huertos. You know, yeah, one in the rain, one in the rain on at Houston, I believe it was. Yes. Uh, uh, but he, but he didn't end up as rookie of the year, even though he won a race. But Peter the Dick race one was a fluke. Three. Yeah. McMurray and, won though. Yeah, yeah. And something and of course, else uh, that you just made me think of. Uh, it's kind of ironic. Both Tyler Ankrum last year and Cole Custer this year, the race they won was Kentucky in their respective series, and both, as of right now will end up have been the rookie of the year in their respective series and from last year in trucks, Custer this year in cup. Interesting. All right. So let's really quick talk about the Xfinity truck races. Cause I want to leave some time to talk about formula one. Cause we are headed to one of the, the grand wonderful tracks of the series that being spa. So Seth uh, and or Louise to take a few minutes to uh, take us through the uh, results from uh, trucks and Xfinity. And then Richard, let's talk about spa. Well, for the trucks, uh, it was a duel essentially between Zane Smith and Brett Moffat and Zane ended up on top, uh, taking the victory in the Xfinity series. Justin Allgaier finally broke through this season, uh, winning the first race, uh, Chase Briscoe crashed in the first race, went to a backup car, started in the rear, and got all the way back up and won the second race. Which I believe for Briscoe, that is now his, I think, sixth. Yeah, sixth victory this year. And prior to the season, he had given himself a goal of getting eight wins in order to move up to cup next year. Well, well he's that. nearly there, isn't he? Yep. And, and I think there's seven races left until uh, the Xfinity playoffs, so he has a lot of time to get those two more wins. Okay, wait a minute. So, so the NASCAR playoffs begin. The Cup playoffs begin next. But there's week. seven more races before the Xfinity playoffs. That's yes. September. Well, that's September. The playoffs for well, trucks and Xfinity. Well, the reason why. Usually it was only staggered by about one week, but Xfinity and Trucks still have more races to make up. They've got more catch-up, catch-up yeah. races. I understand. Okay, all right. Because are back on schedule to what was what they were supposed to have. Yes, and I believe Xfinity still has to make up three more races, and Trucks still have to make up another two, if all I right. remember correctly. 
Very good then. Okay, so now Richard, Formula One is headed to, as you like to call it, a proper circuit, but Ooh, not only yeah. just not not just any proper circuit, but Spa. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Spa and and what we might expect to see. It's, it's just it's a proper circuit, isn't it? Great to be back there after uh, you know the, the the relatively pedestrian race at uh, uh, in Spain. Uh, hopefully, I haven't checked the weather forecast. And that's hopefully a little bit of rain to, to throw in the mix there. Normally, you know, normally rains at Spa, so that'll be a you know that spices things up as much as the the, the track itself. You know, the, the the corners, you know, you just reel them off the saw. So Rouge, Puan, you know, the bus stop chicane, Radion, you know, these just amazing corners and that go back, you know, almost the start of the the, the championship in Formula One, and uh, you know, it's just a list of who's who's has won up, won up the track. So. It's one of the old old fashioned circuits. It's a real driver circuit. It pushes the drivers to the limit. It's where you have a real differentiator between driver and, uh, and 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 car. And the really nice thing about it is that, that track couldn't be built today. You know, it doesn't meet the Tilka Dome specifications. You know, the gradient at Rouge is too high, the track's too long. All of these features that wouldn't be allowed these days. It's a bit like a rebel. You know, a rebel track that uh, wouldn't be built these days. So it's it's fantastic. Uh, to go there, there'll be a little bit of a, you know, a tinge of sadness going back there. Obviously, a year for a year on from Antoine Hubert's death uh, in the Formula Two race last, there last year, and the emotional scenes of Charles Leclerc winning his first race. Um, but of course, those two guys were, were very, very close friends, so it never really had an opportunity to celebrate there. Um, unfortunately, I, I doubt we'll see a repeat of uh, Leclerc's win this season. Uh, unless we have some freak weather or whatever, but um, yeah, no, yeah, Ferrari seems to be just out to lunch. Well, they've had their wings clipped on their engine, and um, yeah, that's uh, the interest. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, you're not going to see this, this prancing horse at the front of the pack there, which will be. It's just a shame. It's always nice to yeah. see Ferrari competing, no matter you know what era it is or what drivers they have. But certainly, the Claire and Patel, they've got two drivers who are certainly more than capable of squabbling over eighth and ninth position like they have been for the last three or four races. So, uh, you know, you expect to see that it's a power circuit. You know, there's long, you know, from um, the La Source hairpin all the way through a Rouge Radion and all the way up to the Chicane at the top of the hill there. It's probably 25 seconds where you're full throttle. Then you've got, uh, you know, the, the fast high-speed section at the end of the track before you come to the old bus stop chicane. So, you know, you've got two long periods of high power there, so it's going to play into Mercedes' hands, I think, undoubtedly. Uh, then the middle section of the track, um, you know, is going to play into uh, the Red Bull hands, you'd imagine, with their aero advantage. So it's going to be a fantastic race, but you, you can't, I don't think you can look past the Mercedes duo there. And I think Hamilton's just got into that zone again that he gets into. Um, I don't think it's a case of Bottas being able to beat Hamilton. I think the only person that can beat Hamilton is himself. Uh, and we've seen that in the past. You know, there's some weekends where he's just not on it. And that's when his teammate can beat him. You know, you saw Austria at the start of the season. You, you've seen it some of the other races, especially in a head-to-head with the, the, the teammate. If Hamilton's on it, you can't beat him. He's just has that ability just to check that, that little extra 1%, 2% in every area of performance, and that adds up. And... Uh, the guys like Bottas and, you know, Rosberg, okay, Rosberg did win one championship, but again, I think that was more Hamilton beating himself than Rosberg actually being a quicker driver. Um, I think mostly demoralizing for those guys. And now Hamilton's on such, he keeps raising his game year on year. And uh, you've yeah, got to give him a huge amount of credit. And he's on a roll right now. He's, he's won. Yeah. Uh, he's won, well, I would say Verstappen. Yeah, Verstappen snuck a win in there. But um, so who's got, is, yeah. does does Vettel still have the record for most wins in a row tied with Ascari? So yeah, or is that that's yeah. is that, that I think it's eight know, wins in a row yeah, actually wrapping from one season to the next. I think I remember going back. Was it 2012? Wasn't it where post uh, mid-season Red Bull won, won every race after the mid-season shutdown? when there'd been like the seven different winners in the first seven races. And I think Vettel has a pretty long streak in there, doesn't he, somewhere? Um, yeah, I think it's yeah, – stri- I, I want to say the record is eight races in a row, and it's held I by both Vettel be, and, yeah. and Ascari. And, well, but it actually it, – it wraps from end of season to the, 
season yeah. over next year. Yeah, so. I mean, Vettel, um, you know, it's just such a shame. And, and hopefully, I, you know, that little silliness that they had going on on the team radio has, has probably stopped. But it's good to see, you know, it's fun to see that little squabbling and the little bickering because you know, everybody else has it at work and in their jobs, you know. Oh, you said this, you said that. You know, it, it's good to see a little bit of emotion and a little bit of human interaction between the, the teams. Um, so I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't want to censor them. A lot of people say you should get rid of team radio altogether. Um I'd like to see one-way radio, maybe, where only the driver can talk to the team, the team to the driver, unless it's for a you know safety issue or something. But um, yeah, I don't know. Because you know, I don't know. Uh, it was it at Silverstone where um, I think Lance Stroll. Oh no, it was at Barcelona where Perez came on the radio and asked his team, "How do the tires look?" Well, hang on, you're the one driving the damn car, mate. You know, <laughs> you tell me <laughs> what the tires are like. That's you know, you funny. Be asking your race engineer what the tires are like, you know, that was yeah, that 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 was a little bit disappointing. Yeah, well, we'll pull on in the pits, we'll put new ones on. you can have a look at my tire if you want. So I'll tell you how that one is. But what <laughs> tire? So guys, well, have, though. Uh, yeah, guys, well, we are we are in overtime now, and uh, we're not able to throw a red flag because we don't have time to fix the wall. So let's uh, let's go around the table, make a pick for Spa, and then then we need to get off the air. So uh, whoever wants Hamilton can pick first. I'll go with <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Seth, who do you like for Spa? Uh, I'll go with Verstappen. Okay, that'd be good. And and uh, Richard. Yeah, Verstappen. Yeah, it rains. Verstappen wins. Yep. Okay, so that, yeah. that leaves me to say perhaps Boltas, but, I mean, yeah, smart money's on Hamilton. I think he's uh, he's pretty much going to obliterate every record left in Formula yeah. 1 by the time uh, this season is up. And we have uh, one addition to the counter, calendar, uh, Turkey. Yep, Turkey's back. Turkey's yeah. Grand Prix is, is, is back on the calendar, and folks are happy about yeah. that. That's another uh, pretty darn good circuit to watch a race yeah, at. So, uh, great, some great circuits this year, haven't they? they really yeah, are. yeah. Fantastic circuits. And Bahrain's going to be a double hell. There's going to be two Bahrain races. Now, whether one's going to be the classic Bahrain track that they use for you know every year, bar 2010, um, and the other race is going to be the oval, as they like to call it, which is basically the perimeter track, which I know was muted earlier in the season. Uh, I don't know, but it'd be quite good to see something. We always like it. And especially if you've got back-to-back races, we said it's a different setup, it's a different car. You know, you, you don't get yourself in, you know, bedded into it. You have to come up with some different, you know, car configurations. So I think it'd be good if they do mix up the layouts a little bit. All right. And with that being said, we are way out of time. So uh, <laughs> I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker and Google Podcasts. And I want to thank you, Seth, Richard, and Louise. And I want to thank you folks who listen to us week in and week out. Until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.